Welcome into another edition of the Front Office. My name's Tony Lombardi. The Front Office is brought to you by Royal Farms. Start each morning with a hot, fresh cup of Royal Farms coffee. It's made one cup at a time from the finest coffee beans in the world. That's Royal Farms affectionately referred to as ROFO. Joining me, as he always does in the front office, from Russell Street Report, Brian McFarlane. Brian, welcome in as always. Good afternoon, Tony. Uh, things are starting to happen. <laughs> Finally. How about Twitter over the last last 24 hours as it relates to the Ravens? I, I think I read, Brian, that the only team up until the time they signed or, or, or agreed to terms with Marcus Williams the only team other than the Ravens that had not signed anybody, even their own players or, or a free agent from the outside, was the New Orleans Saints. And the Saints, I think, are below sea level when it comes to cap space. Yeah, they're working their way out from under, although it sounds like they're in play for uh, Deshaun Watson, so they've got a long way to go. But, uh, yeah, yeah, it was uh, it was quiet. And, yes, Twitter was um, – I, I, you know, I, I kind of laugh at it because it's the same thing every year. If they don't sign somebody, is. ten minutes of the opening, um, you know, it, it, it's just, it's, it's just pretty funny. Um, so yeah, but um, I, the, I, Marcus Williams, not it was I would, what I would have expected, and um, but uh, very happy with it. And the numbers uh, have went all the full numbers, but at least the gross numbers, so to speak. Um, don't look so bad as far as, uh, you know, the, the annual per year and things like that. You mentioned Deshaun Watson and, you know, he's, he's talked to the Saints. He's talked to the Panthers. He's talked briefly, I think, to the Falcons. Maybe the Browns are visiting with him today. We're recording on Tuesday. And anybody else that I missed? No, that seems to be it. He um, at one point it said he had turned down. Uh, well, the, the, they turned uh, Houston turned down the Colts. Obviously, didn't want him in division. Right. Uh, and there was some scuttlebutt that Seattle might get involved, but uh, it certainly doesn't seem like it. So, I mean, uh, it seems like, and I don't see Atlanta seems far fetched. I don't know if that's just trying to maybe drive up the price <laughs> on for their for their rivals in the, in the Panthers and and Saints. So. Um, and I would think, you know, Houston, if you, if, if being equal, would like to get him out of the, the AFC. So I think that puts the Browns a little further behind the eight ball, but, um, yeah, but could you imagine him in the division along with Joe Burrow? Um, uh, that's certainly an upgrade over Baker for sure. Well, it is, but here's why the way I was looking at that, I'm, I'm glad that the Browns have been mentioned in the mix, whether they get him or not, I'm glad. And here's why. If they choose to get him, it's going to cost them a fortune. Yeah. And I think Deshaun Watson is good. I don't think he's a top-tier quarterback. I, I just – I'm basing that on what I see from him in clutch situations. I, I don't see him as being that even – well, he's not that Mahomes kind of guy. I don't think he's a Joe Burrow kind of guy. I think he's a good player. I don't think he's a great player, but the market value for him is great. And if it, I've heard th some things, Brian, and maybe you've heard otherwise, or maybe you've heard the same three number one picks. Yeah. It'll be interesting to see how that goes because, you know, obviously he's facing probably facing some sort of suspension. So, um, but obviously with, with no charges being no criminal charges being filed, that's certainly, um, 
will lessen that, you know, if there were criminal charges, then, you know, he's got to, is he going to sit out while the charges are pending? And is that a suspension? And he was not suspended last year. They basically just put him on the shelf. So he was fully paid. So, um, you know, a lot of people are like, why would he get suspended now? Well, he was never suspended. He, he actually chose to miss games. He, he didn't want to play for him because of the way they were, he wanted to be traded. So um, you don't get any credit for that as far as a suspension for time served, so to speak. Um, so he's probably facing something. It's just a question of how much and how much that factors into the compensation. Granted, given that he's, you know, he's, he's still pretty young. He's still in, is he 26 now, probably? Um, so yeah, yes. if, if he moves, if he loses five games this year, just as an example, and you have him for the next five years, then it's really not, it probably shouldn't affect the compensation that much. I guess the, the concern is, and obviously the market will bear what, you know, what, what they get, but um, you know, the concern is something else pops up. Another skeleton comes out of the closet that, um, that takes him down in some way. Right. But but I, I said, you know, if the Browns got him and giving up a lot of draft capital to get him, that puts a lot of eggs in one basket. Absolutely. But, but if they don't get him, what does it say to Baker Mayfield? What's his head going to be like going into the season? Now, now Tua is a guy who's a much low-key personality, is not as flamboyant, and to be quite frank about it, he's not as petulant as Baker Mayfield has been during his career. I can only imagine if he stays in Cleveland, how this is going to have repercussions with that team. Yeah. I mean, that, that's an interesting now that it's out there. Um, yeah. I mean, I imagine the Browns would have probably rather it been uh, stayed under, you know, under, under wraps, but um, yeah, I mean, he, you're right. He's, he's not a guy that seems to handle that kind of stuff. Well, he's things don't seem to roll off his back very well. So um, yeah, I could create an interesting dynamic and I, uh, you know, I won't, uh, I won't complain about that either. So what the Ravens have done so far is they've signed Marcus Williams safety out of formerly with the New Orleans Saints. They signed to a five-year, $70 million deal. I know that you haven't gotten the particulars on that yet, but uh, those will be forthcoming. But your, your knee-jerk reaction to that signing? Yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm very happy with it. It's, you know, they, it's, it's a little out of their um, – you know, their general way of doing things, their, their, you know, their MO, they, um, you know, they sign generally older guys who have been cut obviously uh, for comp pick purposes. He's a true restrict, uh, true unrestricted free agent. So uh, he's a minus one for them. Um, so, you know, that's, that's less, you know, they're less likely to get any comp picks out of this, this year. And, um, you know, he's 20, he'll be 26 during the season next year. Um, so, I mean, he's very young and you five years, you know, he's got a really good chance of playing all five years. I mean, the safeties can play into their thirties. So, um, you know, in the, the, you know, 14 million a year, now we don't know the details, whether that's, you know, that 14 a year is the base deal. If there are any incentives, so maybe it's more than 70 or if it's less than 70 and incentives get it to 70. So that, you know, the devil will be in those details, but even at 14 a year, um, I'm trying to think, you know, um, Jamal Adams is up at like 18, I think, um, in Seattle and Justin Simmons in Denver's in the 17s. Um, I think this puts on average, I think the 14th puts uh, Williams at seventh overall, um, which considering he's, you know, uh, you know, high, high value player and, um, 
and young and on the free agent market, you know, that, that strikes me as a, a pretty good deal for the Ravens overall, for sure. If knowing as you do the way the Ravens structured deals, typically, I know this could be atypical, we don't know yet, but if it's structured in typical Ravens fashion, what do you expect the cap hit to be in 2022? Yeah, well, I mean, I'll give you a range and then I'll kind of explain, but I think it could be as low as, say, $4 million. Okay. Uh, it could be as high as maybe 8 or 9 I don't think they'll go that high. Um, Adam Schefter reported that he his writing, and I, I think this is said this way on purpose, but it's, he, it's uh, $37 million guaranteed, including $31 million in next year. Now, if it was he was getting if he was getting 31 between bonus and, and his base salary this year, you would generally say this year, not in next year. So that 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 leads me to believe there may be an option bonus involved. Um, that's the way they structured their deals um, with Ronnie Stanley and and uh, and Marlon Humphrey. The you know their recent big deals and actually um, Mark Andrews got an option bonus too. It, it's it's not something they would generally prefer to do but it's a way of keeping this year's cap number lower. Um, and, uh, you know, unfortunately, because of their tighter cap space, they have to do that. And with the cap going up, they can, you know, they can kind of, um, you know, budget out the back years, you know, with that. So, um, so my, you know, my gut feeling would be, uh, I mean, one way to read 31 million is say he got a $30 million bonus and a $1 million salary, and that's a $7 million cap number this year. A $30 million bonus would seem to be awfully rich in this case. Um, Stanley got a $22.5 million. Uh, Humphrey got a twenty. Uh, I don't recall Andrews off the top of my head, but no, none of them. I think only Flacco has had a 30 or higher signing bonus. So uh, I, I don't think that – I mean, that math works very easily, but I don't think that's it. So I could see something along the lines of maybe a 15 or $20 million bonus this year with a small base salary and that gets you in that, you know, five, six, seven, uh, range. Um, you know, I, like I said, if they really wanted to do it, they could probably get it down to about four. Um, but I don't, you know, I don't think if they want to do any other, if they have other, you know, business in mind, uh, at this point, you know, they need to keep it in that kind of, in a kind of range. Okay. Let's just say for the sake of argument that the, that it's $7 million in 2022, and you and I have had these discussions before about the Ravens' effective cap space. Where would that put their effective cap space right now? Well, that would actually, I mean, at this point, um, you know, they're, they're, that would, they're pretty much break even at this point um, because they create with the releases of uh, Tavon Young and, and uh, Alejandro Villaleva, um, that that gave them uh, added to what they had that put them at about 15 million, but their quote unquote off season expenses, the, you know, these things we have to be mindful of, those are about 15. So um, either there's going to have to be a release. There's going to have to be an extension. There's going to have to be a restructure. And, you know, we've talked about Marlon Humphrey and Kevin Zeitler, which I think are, you know, easy ones to do. Um, but if they don't need to do that now, I mean, they have 15 million, less whatever Williams is going to count. So, I mean, they have the cap space right now, but certainly down the road at some point, you know, on Twitter, I've had a bunch of people ask, why haven't they restructured Humphrey yet? Well, they don't need it until they need it. There's no need to do it um, because if, to be honest with you, if they'd struck out in free agency and not been able to sign anybody, 
uh, of note, you know, then they, they don't need to restructure some of those guys because they're probably not going to need that cap space. Um, so, you know, so that's, that's where they are now. Um, it, it'll, I think it'll be, I think when we see, uh, which probably should be sometime later today or maybe early in the morning, um, what Williams's numbers are, if it's as low as four, that means they're, they're definitely in the market for another big ticket item. So there's, that, there's your indicator there. Otherwise they wouldn't need it. Right. Right. And if, but if they're flattening the deal out more and that first year cap number, this year's cap number is nine, then you, you know, then they're, they're eating into their, you know, quote unquote spendable cash or what they can make of to make into spendable cash. So, um, you know, so I think that's going to be a real telling sign, you know, and obviously, you know, Bradley Bozeman's still out there. Uh, I think we all find that interesting. Uh, I, I don't know um, whether a lot of people, maybe uh, he and his agent, and I think certainly maybe a lot of Ravens fans, um, you know, maybe overestimated his value on the market. Um, the longer he's out there, I think that um, I think that if the Ravens want him back, I, I think that that bodes well for them because the price is going to have to come down. And certainly a lot of the teams that would, you know, would have needed, uh, a lot of a lot of the you know veteran guys resigned uh, with you know, with the Rams and and the Titans, um, so you know that's um, that may bode, bode well for them. And certainly that's another deal you can probably get the cap number in the four or five range because um, his isn't going to be. I mean, it was it's not going to be the eleven or twelve or you know setting the market that some people were talking about. Maybe you can get him for under ten now, and then you can get that first year cap number down to about four. I do want to talk about this a little bit more, but with Humphrey, you mentioned that they haven't done that restructure. It's an easy no-brainer one to do. Is this something, Brian, that you think that if they needed that money, it's as simple as a call to Marlon Humphrey, say, we're going to convert your salary into bonus. Why would you say no kind of thing? And then they have that cap space. Well, yeah, I mean, yes, for sure. Um, it used to, and I assume Humphrey's Humphrey contract is one of those, but the Ravens um, got burned by, um, and I'm going to, let me keep talking and come back to the name, but um, a couple years back or more than a couple years back when they went, they, they did not have what they now have is automatic conversion language in the contract. So if they want to convert it, the player doesn't have a set. And usually the players don't care. Um, you know, they're getting, you know, they're getting money now in March. I mean, Humphrey will get $7 million um, in March as opposed to, you know, over the season, you know, uh, spread out over the 17 weeks of the season. So, you know, why not take that big $7 million check now? So usually it's not a problem. Uh, every once in a while you do hear about a, a back in the day when players refused, um, uh, Eugene Monroe was the guy. Um, one year they, he had a big salary. Um, and obviously as it turned out, he was a different kind of cat, so to speak. Um, but, um, he refused and they ended up having to redo Suggs's number, which, which worked out because Suggs finished out the contract, but it wasn't, you know, you generally don't want to do an aging player or restructure. And Monroe was early in the new contract they had given him. So it seemed to, you know, he seemed like the ideal candidate, um, but he refused for whatever reason. Um, and that, um, you know, the Ravens got a little burned with that. And uh, to my understanding, ever since then, they've included that automatic uh, conversion language. Um, so, I mean, obviously, they're going to call Humphrey or they're going to call his agent and say, hey, we're doing this. 
you know, expect a check or where do you want the money wired or, or whatever the, you know, whatever the process is, but they don't have to ask permission anymore. At least uh, to my understanding, that's, that's the way they set their contracts up now. Now back to Bozeman, you said that maybe he could be, and I'm not putting, I'm not going to hang this over your head and say that Brian said this, but what I mean, the natural indication is that his market value is eroding with all these other signings. And as you mentioned, some players staying in place at the center position. If in fact, it's an $11 million average per year. What do you think this looks like five and 55? Well, I, I, I don't think the Ravens would go that high. No, um, I don't either. Yeah. So now I, so I think that value is down now. I think, you know, I'm thinking you may be 10, um, now he's young enough, maybe, you know, obviously it depends on what the player wants, um, whether it's, you know, 10 uh, for 30. There seems to be a lot of 10 for 30, uh, three years for, for uh, 10 each. There seem to be a lot of three or $30 million deals this year for whatever reason. So, and I'm, honestly, the, I, I think other than Jacksonville paying through the nose for a bunch of players who didn't deserve it, I, I think it's been a relatively restrained market. Um, you know, I, I'm getting Williams for 14 a year shocks me. Um, but, you know, all indications seem to be that Bozeman was going to get 11 or 12 a year. And I don't see that happening given the other, the other contracts that have gone out there at the position. So I'm trying to think off of the top of my head. I mean, uh, you know, there haven't been a lot of just, you know, um, you know, just your eyes bugging out because, because of the numbers. So, um, so, I've, you know, if, if that's happening, you know, maybe you get, I mean, maybe you, I said all along, I thought for the Ravens, 8 million was the number for Bozeman. Now I'm not sure that that's, they can get him down to that. Uh, JC Treader's out there. Obviously Cleveland just released him. Um, he's only 31. He's a veteran. Uh, obviously he's older, but he's only 31. Interior lineman can play much longer. And that, you know, that may give the Ravens a little bit of, uh, you know, a little bit of a bargaining chip because they can, you know, they can play the two players off of each other. Um, there really isn't another, I mean, they may, it doesn't mean if they don't get either of them, they might not sign a veteran center, but there's not one that you're going to say, this is going to be our starter uh, for sure. Other than those two probably on the market at this point. I really like the idea of JC Tretta. He's 31, like you said, relative to Bozeman, who's 27. I think he, because of that would come in less expensively. And if Bozeman, Bozeman signs somewhere else that helps put a, a compensatory bingo chip in the right ledger side of the ledger for the Ravens, since they're going to lose one having signed Marcus Williams. So for all those reasons, and the fact that Tretta is familiar with the AFC North having played in Cleveland and he played next to Kevin Zeitler for a couple of years. I kind of like the idea of Tretta. Yeah. I mean, he might be able, he might be a guy that you get in the six, seven, eight, uh, probably seven, eight million range. So, I mean, you know, if, if you're, you know, if you're, if you're, you know, you're cap pinched and you're looking to the future, you know, Bozeman is, if Bozeman says, I want to, as you said, a five year, you know, 55 million and you can get Treader for, you know, three for 27. Um, and you're not making that long-term investment where you could have some dead money down the road. Uh, I mean, I think it's certainly an option and, you know, the Ravens have always been, obviously, this is their, their kind of guy as far as, you know, playing the comp pick game. And 
So they're always, you know, I mean, I, I know back in, and I haven't heard DaCosta say it necessarily, but I remember discussions about it. I have out the, you know, they knew who was getting cut. I mean, they pretty much, you know, from, um, you know, from, you know, as soon as they started their, you know, their, their, their season ended and they started planning for the next season, they were putting together, you know, and they could pretty accurately predict who was going to get cut. So, um, yeah, I mean, so it seems like uh, they're kind of guy. And you know, like I said, if you can get them for a little cheaper, it might allow you some space to do some other things. And I think you touched on a really important point right there, Brian, because, you know, the Ravens are accused oftentimes not being the first team out of the gate. More likely they're the last team out of the gate, or if I had to bet on one side of the coin, I'd say that, but there's a reason behind that. And it's just what you're, you're talking about. They have a, a pro player personnel group that studies every team's roster. And in studying every team's roster, they also put it through the paces to see who might be a natural cut and where those guys might align themselves in terms of players that fit the Ravens needs. I would bet you that they have their own, you know, they'll have a draft board, but I bet they have a free agency board set up as well. The guys that they're going to go after. And that's why in anticipation, maybe they even knew that a guy like JC Treader was going to be available. So they waited. And I, I think that that patience pays off because you can get quality players for less money. And at the end of the day, you just want to promote value in your salary cap. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, absolutely. I mean, they've, they've, oh, I mean, you know, again, it's every year, the first day, you know, fans are going, why do they do something? But the second and third day, they seem to slide in, whether it's a trade for a Calais Campbell, um, which, which was what happened two years ago, or, you know, even, uh, you know, I know it didn't work out, but the Mark Ingram deal was a great deal for them. And certainly the first year, um, you know, he was fantastic and, he just seemed to be banged up the next year. And then Dobbins came on strong and it just wasn't the same. But, you know, I've heard people complain about that contract. It was very little dead money, um, you know, when, when they did cut him heading into the third year of the third year of the three-year deal. I mean, but that was a fantastic signing. I, you know, um, obviously, you know, they jumped in on, uh, you know, Earl Thomas. We know how that worked out. But, uh, and, you know, maybe uh, I guess there's, there's a question of what homework they did and, you know, whether there should have been some signs about his instability. But I mean, at the time, nobody thought that was a bad deal. Maybe a little, maybe it was a little high on the numbers, but, um, you know, nobody, nobody really complained about it. I mean, let's think about that. That deal, I believe, averaged 12 and a half a year. And that was three years ago, right? Yeah. That was 19. So was that, you know, so nineteen twenty. So that was actually basically four seasons ago. So they're getting a younger uh, Williams for what a million and a half more on average per year. I mean, that's, uh, you know, I think that's, I don't know who, who, who to pat on the back for that, or if that's just the way the market went for safeties at this point. But uh, I mean, I think that's, uh, I mean, that, that's another thing that just tells me the numbers on the Williams deal are great for them. Yeah. Sometimes you get lucky. Sometimes you don't. And sometimes you get these deals that look awful in retrospect, but at the time they look like they were, relatively good deals because things happen in life and, and in football that make those players all of a sudden less attractive or, or unavailable. I mean, you, you mentioned Earl Thomas. There was, you know, who knows what's going to happen with Ronnie Stanley. Dennis Pitta got hurt. Nick Boyle's yeah. career might be in jeopardy. We don't know what's going to happen with him. You mentioned earlier Eugene Monroe. Of course, there was Ray Rice. And back in the day, there was Leon Searcy and <laughs> Elvis Gerbach. I mean, these things happen. Even Jonathan Ogden retired early and they had to take a hit. Yeah. 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 I mean, 
So, yeah, and I mean, if you think about it and, uh, you know, that's you named a lot of names there and those were a lot of their biggest signings. Um, and, you know, those didn't work out for one reason or another. Another, And it, it wasn't because they, those players were bad players. I mean, Searcy, you know, had had one injury in his career. Um, and obviously, Gerback probably wasn't the right move. Um, but, you know, as you said, Pitta got hurt. Um, you know, they, they, and Tavon Young, you know, they, they re-signed him. He got hurt. You know, um, now he had been hurt once before that. So, I mean, you know, there's there's questions about that. But one injury doesn't make a guy injury prone until it happens again and again, I guess. But uh, so, you know, I mean, it is a lot of their bigger deals. It's just, you know, some cases maybe they could have done a little more homework as, as Earl Thomas. But a lot of them have just been, you know, uh, bad luck. Now, all those guys that we just rattled off, they've they weigh on a team's cap. They create a lot of dead cap space. And, you know, it was brought up to me or asked of me on social media just the other day. Why is it that the Ravens never seem to have cap space? And I'm going to let you answer it, but I would think that these kinds of things are contributing factors. Yeah, I mean, they are. I mean, obviously last year, you know, just using last year's example, now obviously that's an extreme year because the cap dropped so much but they also were carrying $10 million for Earl Thomas on that cap, you know, so that, that really hurt them and what they could do. And I know we talked about it on the last, I believe it was our last uh, uh, podcast was, um, you know, uh, when uh, DaCosta was talking about uh, not having money during the season to be able to make a move where they had done that with Marcus Peters and, and Nagakwe in the two prior years, um, you know, that 10 million on the under Earl Thomas, goes a long way towards, um, you know, having money and then also not having to restructure deals, perhaps that they had to, uh, because of all the injuries that they got hit with. So, you know, those are things and obviously every team had to deal with with the pandemic. So um, that's, you know, that's not, a, that's not certainly exclusive, mutually exclusive just to the Ravens. But um, yeah, I mean, I think the biggest um, complaint I guess I would have with the rave the way the Ravens have done things and and I will I, I'm going to qualify it too and because the, the old way was big bonus money and anytime you give big bonus money that creates dead money um, now once they started their caps started clearing up in you know um, so I mean I can go back so obviously they they cleared their cap after the after the purge year after the Super Bowl back in 01 they had a very clean cap up until from that point up until about 2011 um, they had a bunch of contracts the the cap went back that year uh, with the new CBA and they got caught so that's when they they released guys like heap and Kelly Gregg and and Derek Mason who were you know who were up there but you know, guys, they, they generally would not have got, you know, that were still serviceable and they probably would not have cut. Um, and then, you know, then and then they, they struggled for a while after, you know, because the cap, the cap under that CBA only was going up in small amounts those first couple of years. So they did a bit of mortgaging the future um, in those years. So by about 16 and 17, they were in better shape. I mean, they still had the, the Flacco contract and he wasn't playing up to it. Um, and then by 19, uh, you know, they were in great shape. I mean, you know, one point in March of uh, 18, when you're looking forward to 19, you're, you know, 
people are saying they're gonna have a hundred million in cap space. Well, they made a bunch of signings, but they, I mean, they spent, you know, they, they re-signed Marcus Peters. They, uh, they extended uh, Tucker. That's when they signed Earl Thomas and, and, um, and um, um, there were a couple other players that um, you mentioned Mark Ingram, Ingram. Right. And then there was, there was somebody else it was the third big guy. They, the third big um, uh, outside guy they brought in that year. So, you know, those all, you know, so then, then of course the pandemic hit and now they, so they, they started doing flatter contracts where, you know, the, the, the bonuses were smaller. Uh, you know, he got a $10 million, not heap. Um, 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 Pitta? Um, Pitta, thank you. Jeez. Pitta got a, you know, a $10 million uh, bonus. Um, Brandon Williams got somewhere in that range. And then Tony Jefferson, they signed from outside, was probably the first big outside, young outside free agent they signed. So they kind of started doing things a little differently. And that's why, you know, people didn't, I know people didn't like the Williams contract, um, but it wasn't that bad of a contract as originally set up. But then when you're, when you're, when you're fighting for space, they started restructuring. So, you know, Williams became a, last year a 15 million, almost $16 million cap hit. Most of it was restructured money. So, but that, that, but that gave them flexibility to, to do that when they needed it. Now they don't have as much flexibility because they've had to put so much money in. I mean, just the three big guys they've recently signed in Andrews, uh, Humphrey and Stanley, they've had to do these option bonuses as I kind of discussed with, with, uh, with Williams, but that's putting more, more bonus money on the table. Player loves it. Um, because the more bonus money on the table, the more dead money later in the contract, the less likely you're going to cut him. So players are all for bonuses. Um, but they've had to do that just to, you know, just to get these contracts. You know, Stanley was on his fifth year option when they signed him in October. You know, he was going to be a free agent in three months, three or four months. You know, they had to get it done. Um, Humphrey, you know, Humphrey was a little earlier. Humphrey got done the beginning of his fourth year. Um, and then, you know, and then obviously Andrews was in his fourth year because he didn't have a fifth year option. So, you know, these kind of deals that so the more the more bonus money you put into a deal, um, the more dead money potential is there. And then, of course, when you're restructuring deals, so they're leveraged more than most teams right now. Um, there's more money tied up. In, I, not I think they're in the top five. I don't want to say exactly how. I'm not sure exactly how high they are, but they're one of the most leveraged teams. And, and that 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 money's already that's on the cap, and you can't do anything about it. You can do things about base salaries. You know, with Humphrey as an example, you you convert his his nine uh, nine point five million dollar base salary down to the minimum. You create a bonus, and you can save seven million dollars. But again, that's that means for future years. You're, you're leveraging that. That's more money that's already leveraged in the future as well. So that's the thing. It, it's better to have smaller bonuses, guarantee-based salaries. Um, so you still get the same amount of, of guaranteed money. You're just guaranteeing the first and second years of those deals. But right now, they're in a spot where it's just it, it's, it's a little cyclical there, you know, to create cap space, to do what they want to do to, to stay at the top of the league, to stay in, you know, Super Bowl contention, quote unquote, they, they've made moves that and, 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 you know, structured deals the old way, so to speak. And uh, they've gotten away from the, the more modern way. But honestly, they, they didn't have much of a choice or they just say, you know, we're going to you know, we're going to take a blight one year. We're not going to sign any free agents and we're going to clean clean our cap out. Hopefully, I, I assume the hope is that with the 
more major increases in the cap, they'll be able to uh, withstand this and get, you know, clean up the cap a bit. Yeah, I think the frustration with fans lies in the fact that you see teams that are winning teams like Tampa and the Chiefs and the Rams, the Chargers didn't make it to the playoffs, but, you know, they they're a competitive team. The Broncos, these teams all like load up and people say, well, how can they have all these stars and still add all these players? You know, Tampa has Brady coming back. They, they franchise Godwin. They signed Jensen for $13 million a year. The Rams re-signed some guys and added some guys. Chargers added five free agents, and they look like Super Bowl contenders. And the Broncos swoop uh, Randy Gregory away from the, the Cowboys for $70 million, and they're bringing on Russell Wilson, who's going to command a big number. So I think all those, that noise makes people wonder, why aren't the Ravens managing their situation better than they have been? So, and I think you really explained that well. Now, if you had to uh, compare the Ravens in terms of their cap management against some of the better teams, are the Ravens in the top third, the top quarter, the top five? Where, where do you think they lie? Well, I mean, I think right now, like I said, I mean, I, I, I think the way they've done things is not the way they want to do things, but it's kind of been necessity. So, um, you know, I don't... I mean, they're in the top half for sure. Um, but, you know, you, you talked about some of the teams. I mean, Denver had a very clean cap. They didn't, you know, um, they haven't had a star quarterback in a while to take up money. They haven't had a, you know, Locke was picked reasonably high. Um, you know, the Chargers, you know, once Rivers went, they cleaned up their cap and, you know, hit on Herbert at, right at the same time. So they didn't have, and they got rid of, you know, they, over the years, they've gotten rid of their Weddles and, um and, and Ingram last year, some of their bigger ticket items, um, some of their, 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 their tackle from a couple of years back, their, their OT from a couple years back. So, you know, those teams, even, even the, even Tampa, you know, I mean, if they don't get Brady, we're not even talking about Tampa, you know, I mean, they, you know, they under Jamison Winston, they had a relatively young team. Um, and obviously, you know, once Brady came, you know, Gronk comes and, and then they get to the point where, you know, they, I mean, they got, um, you know, they got bare at the, the, the defensive end on, I mean, on a, a minimum contract two years or three years ago from Denver, it was a guy nobody wanted for anything more than the minimum. And he, you know, he goes out and puts up, you know, 10 sacks and they, then they franchise him and, and then, you know, extend him long-term. So, you know, a lot of those teams had a lot cleaner of a cap to start with. Um, and that, you know, but that's where the restructuring is not a good thing. And, you know, so when you, you know, you hear people, you know, use void years and be aggressive. Well, part of the reason they're where they are is because they were aggressive, you know, whether it was in some things that blew like Earl Thomas that blew up in their face. And then you got to deal with the dead money and they were aggressive by restructuring deals, you know, to, to get guys in here. Um, whereas, you know, if they didn't do that, they, they would have a cleaner cap right now. I, you know, you can argue they didn't make the right moves. And, you know, I think that I mean, that's a different discussion, obviously. But and I don't and I think there may be something to be said for that, whether it was just, you know, they didn't do their diligence or just didn't get the right guy or, or whatever. And obviously hindsight's a lot of that argument, too. But, you know, but I think that, you know, from a cap perspective, I don't think they've been unaggressive for sure in their cap. Um, but, you know, when you're when you're aggressive and you're creating cap space to resign guys or sign guys and Brandon Williams, you know, cap number gets close to 16 million. Don't complain about it because, and say that they're not managing their cap because 
or they're not being aggressive because that's the reason they got there in the first place. Brian, you mentioned earlier that depending upon the structure for Marcus Williams' new deal, it could be as little as four million, maybe as much as nine million. But let's take the the aggressive edge to that. Let's say that it's four million in twenty twenty two. And, and you said that that could be an indicator that they have something else in mind. But you followed this, the ebbs and flows of the, what the Ravens do from a cap management perspective for years. What does your gut tell you that the Ravens are going to do, if anything at all, for the bounce of free agency? Yeah, I mean, I think you'll see um, one more, I don't, I don't know how to, one more legit, you know, not I can major. I don't even know if there's a major signing out there, so to speak now, um, given the numbers. But, you know, uh, I think they have one more, you know, sizable size signing, whether that is, um, you know, whether that's a, a you know, is a Darius Smith, uh, you know, that number could come in, you know, that might be 14 to 15. I mean, that may be he may actually be taking a pay cut because the, the numbers out there uh, for some of the edges haven't been as high as you would have thought. So, um, I mean, still paid handsomely, but so whether it's that or, um, you know, a move at, at center, as we already talked about, and then maybe a lesser move for a tackle, um, whether it's a guy like, you know, like guy like Morgan Moses. Um, I mean, there's the, I mean, Armstead's still out there. I mean, there's, hasn't been, there hasn't been anything major on the tackle market. Um, Trent Brown, you know, in, in new England, because he can play both right and left side. Uh, there's something to be said for there, but I mean, that's a market that, you know, they could be again, patience, you go out and you get your guy, so to speak the first day and you give them what you think the market's going to bear. And then it turns out, you know, nobody's paying tackles and they're all sitting out there and finally they're, you know, the prices are coming down, you know, then, you know, you could have gotten them for 2 million a year less, you know, three days later, because the market, for whatever reason, didn't, you know, didn't show up like you expected. So, you know, that, that's that's the danger of going out and, you know, setting the trend, so to speak, or, or, or topping the trend that didn't exist, you know. Um, so I think those are probably the moves, um, you know, I. I, that somewhere on the offensive line, I think there has to be a move there, whether that's the big move or whether that's two small moves, you know, maybe Williams is the big move. And, you know, you're looking at, you know, yeah, instead of another guy averaging, you know, 14 or 10 to 14 or something in that range, you're going to, you know, you're looking at three guys averaging, you know, five to six per, uh, you know, on their deal. So, but I think, the, I think the offensive line has got to be, um, I mean, the, the draft is pretty solid there, but I don't know that they're going to wait, uh, you know, wait till the draft to address at least some of those spots. One player that's still around is my last question for you, who is I'm surprised he's still around. There's some, been some rumors that he might get traded and the cap effect would be the same for the Ravens. I don't know who would want him, but Miles Boykin. Any thoughts on that? Yeah, I mean, you know, I I had identified him early as a guy that um, was not going to be around <laughs> um, because of the two point five million dollar um, uh, 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 salary, which basically because of an escalator uh, in the CBA, his salary jumped from a million up to two and a half, and four to being the you know fifth, sixth, seventh, eighth wide receiver on the depth chart. Uh, you know, I thought that was going to be too rich. Now, yeah, right. I don't know who would, what trade you could get there. I mean, it might be something as simple as, 
you know, Boykin and a sixth for a higher sixth, you know, so you jump up, you know, 10 or 15 spots in the draft. Um, you know, you might be able to find a, a team willing to do that. Um, or maybe it's just a, some kind of conditional pick in, you know, in 2024, the Ravens have 10 picks this year. I mean, I know, you know, they loved having picks, but you know, they don't, they don't necessarily need an 11th. So maybe it's something we'll, we'll, you know, we'll, we'll try to build our war chest for next year. And, you know, so even if it's a seventh next year, it's, you know, it's not, it's not much for the team to give up other team to give up. Um, and just to take that salary off of our hands, obviously, you know, they can wait that out. They don't need the cap space. Um, but I don't think any, unless somebody trades for him soon in the next, you know, between now and, you know, Saturday, maybe then, you know, I, and they don't have to cut him right now because they don't need the cap space. So, you know, it may be something they hold on to him, you know, into the, uh, to draft time. And, you know, maybe somebody, you know, offers something during the draft. Um, yeah. Who knows? But yeah, I don't, I don't see, unless we, you know, unless we hear about a, God forbid, a bunch of our wide receivers blowing out, you know, you know, in off season workouts, blowing out knees and, you know, hamstrings or something like that. I don't see him being around for, for, you know, for training camp, much less, you know, OTAs in May. So they got to find that trading partner who's looking for a tall, lanky receiver who doesn't really run good routes plays pretty decent on special teams and can really support your running game with some good blocks here and there. Yeah. Yeah. And you never, you never know. Some team thinks that they got the right, you know, they got, they have the right um, wide receiver coach to unlock what the Ravens couldn't um, or, you know, they like a team that like Boykin. You hear about that often teams either, you know, pick somebody up off of waivers or as a free agent. Well, we, they, you know, you, oh, there's always in the story, it seems to be, they really liked them in the draft. So, you know, maybe they can make something out of him now. So, I mean, if you get a, you know, you get a sixth round pick out of him next year, you know, that's a win for the Ravens. You get a draft pick, you get something. And then, you know, you get, you, you get that cap, that little bit, that little bit of cap relief. Absolutely. Brian, as always, it's been a pleasure and informative and we'll do it again next Tuesday. That sounds good. Okay. So this has been the front office brought to you by Royal Farms. Ground just seconds before brewing. It's the freshest coffee in the world. Real fresh, real fast, Royal Farms. Be sure to follow us on Twitter. I'm at RSR Lombardi. Brian, you can find him at, at Raven Salary Cap. You can also find us on YouTube at Russell Street Report. And please hit the subscribe button wherever you get your podcast. We'll talk to you again next week, everybody. Thanks for listening.